everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. When you train with Kevin Tunin, you're going to get much more than an average weight room experience. That's why top performers in Australia, from rugby to special operations, have sought his expertise. This is a guy who has always questioned the validity and application of voluminous training for what can best be described as power athletes. Hear how this soldier was able to take his knowledge of the job demands and reverse engineer training to get that shit done. Here it is, episode 428. What's up? All hot and bothered over here because McQuilkin doesn't like the movie Swordfish. <laughs> Travolta's, he's done better. Let's just leave it. Of course uh, Travolta's done better. Yeah, he, he did was, Saturday Night Fever. Well, even later he did the, what was that train movie? Face Off? Pelham 213. A great real life money robbing movie. Mm-hmm. If you want the best money robbing movie, it's Money Train. No. Yes. And if you want the best movie, what about movie, Money Plane? <laughs> no, you want the best movie, you watch Soul Plane. See, you got all sorts of options here. Welcome. No, I'm gonna go bank robbery. Well, for me personally, the action is the juice. Oh, so heat. Your heat is the number one. Actually, robbery. correction. I'm going Den of Thieves. No, it's over, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm going the town. Oh, the town is also uh, real life. Money. I, I do love the town. Real that's life one of my money. favorites. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish this was a movie about or a show about bank robberies. But if you do want to know what the best bank robbery movies are, maybe you could ask us on the hotline. That number is 929 Oh, that would be a great one. 464. TC, get on it. Zero. Zero. That number is 929. Ing. Ing. Zero. Now, we have a special guest today. But before we get started, this episode is brought to you by probably the featured Power Athlete product of today's episode. It was mentioned by our friend Kev Tunin down in uh, Australia, the Power Athlete Methodology course. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a, a coach who is seasoned or a young coach who's aspiring to be seasoned, a seasoned coach, um, we've got a tool for you. We have got a course that has distilled down all of the, the juicy and pertinent training principles and practices into an easy-to-consume course plus workbook to empower your performance as a coach. You can learn more about that at academy.powerathletehq.com. And uh, just today, actually, I was trading emails with a dude who's... uh, I linked up with our guy, Jake, because he's got a 12-year-old son who he thinks is pretty mature... Like, for his age, wants to know if he's good enough. Like, now is that the right time to start lifting weights? It's like, ah, could be, could not be. But we've got a guy who went, took the methodology course, and his son just embraced the training, has put on 40, 50 pounds over the past year, and wow. is, like, an absolute savage on his football teams, flag football, his uh, baseball teams. He's just, he's just ripping dingers. He's like, man, I couldn't have done it without you guys at the methodology. So I put those two in touch, and it's just like a perfect, that's a perfect opportunity for a a father coach or a mother coach who's going to be that mentor for a young child to introduce them to their first foray into the weight room. I mean, it's the perfect course. So, ladies and gentlemen, if that's you, check it out. Academy.powerathletehq.com, and uh, you can see what that's all about there. But now, on to our special guest, Kev Tunin, uh, out of Australia. He's out headquartered in Sydney. He's a former Special Forces uh, dude out of the Australian Army and 
um, strength and conditioning coach, gym owner. Uh, what else is he into? Just took over the head strength role for the Sydney Roosters. That's right. That's right. And then, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about his background. Uh, we're going to get into, you know, just like what's going on down there. We don't really have a lens into it, right, no. John? I mean, it's like all we hear about is the nonsense around here. So it's reach out, break down the borders, and, and chat with our buddy Kev Tunin. But other than that, what else we got? Well, it was a great chat all around. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, exploring Australia. If you've been there, it's a good episode to really remind you of what it's like. If you mm-hmm. haven't been there, Kev does a great job of painting the picture mm-hmm. of the different states in Australia. So, And the current state of strength and conditioning, is, as John got into, they're more, it's cool to see the difference. They're more science-based yeah. and almost, I would argue, ahead of us. But when it comes to coaching, mm-hmm. then I would say America has the edge versus yeah, the, the, practical application. the practical application, as which is the goal of the Power Athlete Methodology. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. So strap yourselves in. Thanks again for listening. And uh, hey, we appreciate you. Hugs and love from the Power Athlete Radio Crew. Would you guys concur? (laughs) Let's do it. About that, not swordfish. Don't cut my sound bite together. (laughs) Okay. Let's do it. Well, Kevin, thanks for dialing in and barreling through the uh, well, audio, good, audio, audio issues, uh, not audio visual. Well, we can say good morning. Oh, good morning. That's he's right. A, he's up early. I guess he's in the future. Yeah, it's t- what's happening tomorrow. That's right. I'm trying. I'm checking my world clock over here. Schwarzenegger's president for us. What? How? You are so lucky. I thought for sure Schwarzenegger is going to be our president one day. No, it's going to be it's the illegal. Rock. No, it's, they'll pull it off. They'll, it's, they will, uh, the it's Rock will get elected. The Rock will get elected repeal, step down, promote Arnold. That's the only outcome. That's the only acceptable outcome for the U.S. for us to continue to thrive as world power. Do you concur, Tex? No. What? I don't. Wellborn? That's a yes, Cy. (laughs) No. That's a yes, Cy. I know my size, John. I I really hope that The Rock gets a chance to run the United States. Mm -hmm. Because he'll, he'll go on the platform of fitness. Right. And being jacked. Yeah. Everyone and, needs a double body weight bench. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then, like, what's his whole uh, Gladiator Games? Uh, the Titan, Titan games? games? The Titan Games will yeah. actually be how you perform is uh, what your tax break is. I'm fine with that. So, like, if you win, you don't pay any taxes. Yeah. Those are the worst guys. Got to pay the most. Yeah. Okay. I could do that. That seems like a, a totally fair dream way to do it. It's a meritocracy. So the merit of being in more Titan game shape, then that allows for us to have greater success and less taxes. And what I'm sure that? as this whole thing unfolds on I, the world stage, Kevin, you'll, you and everybody down under will enjoy, will enjoy seeing that experiment this, roll out. Yeah. the Running Man live. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Kevin, thank, thanks for hopping on, man. We appreciate it and appreciate you, uh, you know, getting up early and, and making this thing global for us. So uh, welcome to Power Athlete Radio, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I've been listening to you guys and, and watching uh, like, like the three of you for, for years. Um, I'm so sorry. It's, uh, it's I, I, I apologize. <laughs> um, I think you first, John, and then, and, and then the rest of the guys. But um, <laughs> no, it's always solid. Like, I really enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember the year. It was either 2016 or 17. One of my adventures down to Sydney, we had the opportunity to hang and yeah. train a little bit at 
Russell Crowe's gym, and then oh. uh, grab some kangaroo. I forget what we ate. Something exotic. I decided to get something weird because we were down there. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I think it was some kangaroo. I think you can get camel there. You can get crocodile there. But I don't think we tried any of that. But um, yeah, so we had um, a 98 gym, that's what we call it. And uh, that was previously uh, Russell's place. Um, and yeah, so we've, um, but I think since you've been there, mate, we've uh, knocked all the walls down, cleaned it completely out. And it's, um, that was, well, we've done that twice since you've been there. And it's, it's a little bit bigger and it looks a lot different now than uh, it's a little way, way it used to look in there. It was, it was quite boutique, I think, when you were there. Oh, very much so. Old brick. It was very nice. And a lot of lovely fitness enthusiastic <laughs> ladies there. It was, it was a great gym. Well, hang on. Can enthusiastic? You, well, yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can we get a read back on how you just, there's a lot of lovely what now? Uh, enthusiastic elastic? fitness women. I, I think he was confusing uh, yeah, there's a elastic or something in, or, or spandex. No, they were very enthusiastic. Okay. What do you mean? Like lots of yelling and screaming, cheering and clapping? Happy-go-lucky, Instagramming. It was awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> was Russell there? Uh, do you concur, Kev? <laughs> Look, it's, it's, not, it's not a bad place to work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're like, it was so weird. Texas drooling everywhere. We couldn't figure out why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, um, yeah, we, we're very lucky. We've got some... Um, uh, yeah, we, we put a, all our emphasis on performance. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, you know, aesthetics will come. And thankfully for us, uh, that aesthetics part would seem to like come just as text turned up. So. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Well, I mean, why don't we cross paths with you? I mean, we, the, the royal we, Tex McQuoken specifically. Uh, but why don't you give our listeners just like a little bit of background on you, man? Like, uh, you know, how did you get into this space? And then as we kind of barrel through that, uh, the conversation will, will unfold. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I, I got out of high school and I went to university um, for a very short time, uh, I think just on about eight months, and uh, I, I didn't enjoy it. I was doing what uh, we'd call human movements, and that basically was going to qualify, qualify me to be a personal trainer. Um, I think I realised very quickly that, you know, if I spoke to that lecturer, you know, one way and another lecturer that way, I didn't have to learn much because they would just, you know, they'd mark me... Uh, in regarding to how they felt about me. So, um, you know, I, I didn't enjoy that. I thought there would be a little bit more. I walked past the recruiting office uh, for the Army and thought I'd jump in there for, for four years, make a little bit of money, which anyone who's joined the military understands now that, like, you don't make money in the military. Um, and then uh, just on 20 years later, um, I came out the other side. Um, I was lucky enough within the first couple of, well, I think for the first year uh, after my training, um, I was deployed and that was pretty much uh, from 99 uh, onwards, we had something going on. Um, I got to join, I think, what you guys call uh, airborne, but my first unit was um, what we call the paras. It was a parachute uh, infantry unit where I spent my, my first 10 years um, uh, with uh, snipers and recon. And then I made my way over to our Special Operations Command where I spent um, some more time there um, with SASR and um, then eventually finishing up at the Special Forces Training Center. Uh, and during that time, uh, we were looking at human performance and not, not high performance, which a lot of people um, 
make mistake of. We were looking at human performance and, and our tagline has always been humans over hardware, meaning that uh, the human body is always more important than the shit you put on it. Uh, and then during that time, I did a lot more study and I just became very, very interested in um, like uh, injury proofing, bulletproofing, call it whatever you want, uh, making sure that our operators could uh, extend their lifetime doing what they love. And, um, and that's where I spent like the majority of my time and that's where I sort of spend it now. I'm um, the head strength coach uh, at the Sydney Roosters, which is a rugby league team. And I also uh, run the programming and um, for, for the gym and our online stuff as well. Nice. So I yeah. guess, what, what's the culture like within the military as it relates, in Australia, as it relates to like PT training, and I guess human performance optimization. And I, I, I ask that because we have a perception with our dealing with our big army and our National Guard on on how seriously they uh, claim to take it. But, you know, there's a gap there. I, I'm curious what it's like, you know, if you, if you can shed some light on how, what it's like in your country. How, um, I was going to ask, how many people are in the military in Australia? Like, uh, um, how many people are in the army? Like, is there a number? Yeah, look, it's you'll be quite surprised. Um, I think all up, uh, and, and I'm you know I've been out for uh, four four years now, so I'm not 100 up to date. But it's around 36 to 40 thousand, and that's everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you're yeah. talking about a smaller sample. I mean, there's oh, yeah. there's over a million in the armed forces here in the United States. So right, I wonder right. if like uh, you know, and also Australia is pretty interesting in that they really went deep into the science of uh, strength conditioning. When I read a lot of the research. It seems to be that, like the amount of uh, you know strength conditioning uh, knowledge and research is really booming in Australia, and it seems to really put it at the forefront. So I wonder how that affects it, and then having obviously a smaller sample size. Twenty-five million is the population of Australia. Mm-hmm. So roughly half the size of California. There's fifty-two million in California. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's quite a small uh, defence force. And However, um, I think what we used to pride ourselves on, um, with a very small footprint, we, uh, we used to make quite a, a large noise, you know, I guess, you know, more like a small brother. And we always used to deploy alongside of, um, you know, the US, Canada, the UK, uh, and that was, was always the way. So we would never go anywhere by ourselves, just like, a, I guess, a little brother, in case we got spanked. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's the same, I guess. Like, and I've heard you guys talk about it before with um, what you did with the National Guard and everything else. It's it's similar for us. But um, I was working, uh, I guess, only within special operations, and the uptake there was was fairly easy because the, the cell isn't. You don't have to ask these guys right. to get faster. It's just like, what do I do? How do I do it? And most of the, most of the issue was slowing everyone down. You know, mm-hmm. and. Running was a big thing for us for, for no reason at all. Like if it was a test of fitness. If you could run 10 kilometers in some shorts and a shirt, which had no practical application to the job whatsoever. Um, so our big push has been strength and it's uh, we've done a study on it. Um, and it was, we did power, we did strength, we did agility, we did like you know, a lot of it. And in the end, the overall thing is like, if you're not strong, you're not useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't display power without having a good base of strength and there's no point being really, really fit in terms of conditioning if you can't carry your load to the mission objective and then carry it out. Um, so the uptake for us was quite good. It was 
it was hard to push past initially, and uh, I know you guys understand this, but um, the uh, the CrossFit mentality. Um, we really had to push a lot of that out of the way. And um, very, very early on, we engaged with that organisation um, and decided very, very quickly that that wasn't for us. Um, so, so like we early on, like like in the early 2000s? Yeah. CrossFit was yeah, coming so had, Okay. Yeah, we had those guys come over. We actually um, we had them over to the unit. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it wasn't for us. It yeah. wasn't like you don't put a whole bunch of alpha males in a room and then say, this is how you, you snatch a really lightweight 30 times in a row and then press the clock and wonder why everyone gets injured. Um, so we, we never did that. We, what we thought was like, right, let's look at the mechanisms of injury, let's look at the, like, the biggest injury parts. And what we did, uh, I guess, early on was test everyone. We looked at lower body strength, upper body strength, uh, anaerobic ability, aerobic ability. And what we found was quite interesting, but also, you know, I guess quite common was the average body weight for our operator was about 85, 88 kilos, and the average bench press was about 130 to 140 kilos, and the average back squat was about 90 kilos. So oh, yeah. they're almost. What's wrong? Yeah, yeah, what's wrong? Yeah. Everything sounds perfect. Very balanced. Yeah. Very balanced. Big bench, long, in high yeah, school big, football big bench, big bench, long run. That's what it matters. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And then we had lots of hamstring injuries, hip injuries, knee injuries, ankle injuries, and it's. You can, it's easy to say that well, that's the mechanism of the job, and you, like that's always going to happen. But uh, you fast forward about five years, and what we had was you know bigger squats, bigger deadlifts, um, some power movements, and less injuries, high success rates in selection courses, um, and a longevity. I mean, we when we projected forward ten years, we weren't going to have a unit if we didn't take care of the injury rates. Wow. And I think it was the same with. Um, the tier one units um, in the states as well with, uh, with Dev Group and CAG and those guys, uh, we learned a lot of those. So nice, yeah. nice. Well, I guess, and then coming out of that, you know, there's certainly a personality type to to manage, mm -hmm. I guess, and to work with and deal with in terms of like that PT and training space. Did that prepare you or hinder you for your your gig and now working with? Uh, with your athletes? Yeah, look, I, I still think, you know, 20 years in the military and then I uh, I'll walk out into, into, into Sydney. Oh, I don't think I've prepared for that um, at all. <laughs> I still don't think I've prepared for that. Um, yeah, the, my, I guess uh, I was always training for something and it was something bigger than myself. And the point was that I didn't want to, you know, be the weakest guy on the team and I didn't want to hinder anyone else or be that be that guy that no one wanted. So then having to switch my idea of, uh, of, of not understanding why everyone didn't want to be hard to kill. Like I didn't understand why, why don't you want to be strong? Why don't you want to be lethal? Like what's, what's your issue? Why do you just want to look good? Like it still doesn't make sense to me. But um, so I, I pushed most of my effort and time and effort back into athletes. So I spent a lot of time around uh, rugby union and rugby league athletes. And that's when I picked up, I think you guys have uh, interviewed Owen before, um, Alan Franks, after um, spending some time, uh, we actually argued about CrossFit when we first met because um, he was doing a bit of that. He had a CrossFit gym in, in New Zealand mm -hmm. and um, we got into an argument uh, about his position on the field versus his activity and his training and, and why would like someone in his position want to do 
you know, high repetitions at, you know, you know, suboptimal weight. And um, I think he, I think he wanted to punch me out after the first conversation. <laughs> yeah, he seems um, like a, I'm sure that's probably how it went down. I mean, but the, like, I think what was interesting, and I had a conversation about this recently, was I think that there was a, um, like the market was really ripe for it, but it was also fairly uneducated. There was this idea that if you could build this huge glycolytic engine, that it would basically permeate in either direction, that you didn't have to do the aerobic and the strength would happen in this glycolytic window. And uh, we tested the shit out of it, and we found all that happens is you get a fast uh, conversion of fast-twitch muscle fibers to slow-twitch muscle fibers to be able to go in this extended periods of time. People are getting really good at lifting sub-maximal weights. Um, well, you do get you know, stronger well, the first 60 days. Yeah, I mean, stronger. Maybe 90. But, but the problem doing, is, is that yeah. but is, then when, as you is get people aren't like, doing yeah, linear progressions yeah, of, of yeah. Fran. It's not like they're still staying at 95. And so I think yeah. um, it was something that, you know, CrossFit football's benefit uh, or what, how we virally infected is putting, you know, periodized strength and conditioning templates in and then asking people to do short conditioning workouts. So I think if uh, people understood CrossFit as a conditioning program, and not a strength and conditioning program or even a strength training deal. And I think that the market was just really right for it. And I, and I think that the research wasn't necessarily available or just wasn't there. And people got really excited in this idea of, um, yeah, I'm going to go in the black box and the harder I go, increase work capacity, fit, you know, and they just kind of lost the message. And then all of a sudden, uh, when people are, you know, burning themselves to the ground every single day, now all of a sudden you're in this kind of Stockholm syndrome, uh, you know, endorphin response where now all of a sudden I have to literally burn my building to the ground every day and then try to rebuild it. And, um, the, and there I, is I think a, it just became, a, a, you know, a, basically a race to the bottom. Well, there's a formal term for that, John. It's called the disease of more. So it's seen in when people do like a linear progression for strength and then they get faster. Okay, well, then I have to get stronger to get faster. Sure. And that phrase was actually coined by Pat Riley. Oh, interesting. And after he, he founded is a coach, he was a professional basketball coach that won a lot of championships, but after his first championship, with whatever team that he found himself on, that second season was infinitely more difficult, because you had to overcome this guy that maybe sixth or seventh man, the disease of more, mm -hmm. and then the team starts to fall apart, and he was always fighting to understand this, but then the same characteristics I read about through his his book. What was his uh, book? Uh, Just win, baby. He he has a few. Let me. But uh, he was a Lakers coach. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it was referring to his Lakers season, yeah. but. I imagine that is just very common across many different threads. He just observed it with his high-caliber, high-functioning well, teams. Uh, the one thing I've kind of observed a little bit different in terms of uh, Australia, uh, there's a kind of a general perception, at least I noticed this when we went down there and taught a bunch, that um, Australians are kind of generally a little more macho and kind of tough, at least in the places we went. I don't know how it is in Sydney, but there was a little bit more, uh, I don't know, or maybe it just was the fact that we were teaching at CrossFit gyms, but I felt like there was a lot of kind of type A guys, ex-athletes, and had, you know, wanted that receipt of just going hard. And um, whereas, you know, I, I don't know, uh, at least by perception, you know, the, uh, the Crocodile Dundee mentality of like how we view Australians, you know, like that's, 
it, it just kind of fit. And the first time I traveled down there and like the guys that we taught at Daz's gym over in Newcastle were all kind of blue collar, yeah. tough dudes. And there was a bunch of like uh, um, Aussie rules, football guys, rugby league, rugby union, a bunch of badasses. So we had this really eclectic group of like some legit, legit athletes. And I remember thinking like, damn, Australia's badass. And then I realized it was just the fact that this was our first time and all the heavy hitters showed up. Yeah, look, I think that's uh, it's correct. I mean, I, I did your um, methodology uh, course, which I really, really enjoyed. I think by far for me, having done a bunch of these things, like yours is the is the best. Like I push any young coach to go and do it because it's um, it's well thought out. It, it's the education is great. But what I really enjoyed was the the idea of like pick the goal and then reverse engineer from the goal, and that's. That's how you program. It's not about, you know, for me, like rugby and all these things are um, like, if they're not unknowable, they're not unknown. Like, you know what you should be doing. Like, we have GPS data, we have data on, you know, how much they run per session, how much they run per game. So we can program it and um, in and around their strength, their conditioning, everything we need to do. And I think what happened in and around that early 2000, mid 2000, is that. Um, People, you know, they, you know, and I think you've talked about it, John, about swallowing the pill, but they honestly thought about, like, I can do 15 minutes or 20 minutes and that's going to be just as good as having done, like, an hour here or like, I can gas myself completely out and I can use that next time I go on the field. Um, and they just weren't thinking about, well, you have a unique position on the field and you need to be bigger, you need to be stronger, this is your work rate, this is what you need to do, like we know exactly what you need to do. And then if you want to be a generalist later on down the line, then you can do that, you know, by adding some of this stuff in. Um, and, I, and I remember started following the, the CrossFit football stuff when it came out and, and really enjoying it a lot more because I, I thought that it had way more application to, at least in the early days of, you know, with the military and thinking, okay, well, I'm going to get strong here and I'll do something that, you know, uh, I can feel like I'm actually working really hard. I mean, and, and that's, in the end, that's what it is. It's a feeling. We, we say it all the time, I want to feel like I'm gas, I want to feel like this. You want your athletes to walk out feeling like they've achieved something. So, I mean, I use that still to this day. Like I trip them for the last 15 minutes and just burn them out with something just so they walk out gassed and they feel like they've had something hard. But in relative terms, they've done exactly what I want them to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's trickery. It's rare to have clients dragging their friends in for strength training. Like, oh, we, we squatted heavy day. You got to get in there. But if you torch them a little bit and you give them a little bit of that endorphin response, all of a sudden they're like, it was awful. It was so hard. You should come. And it was, uh, I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, it, it gets people where you need to go. It gets a little bit of volume in it. And I think you just have to be smart and, and not overload those patterns. I think um, as I was thinking about, like, some of the early CrossFit stuff or CrossFit football stuff, uh, I was really leery to, like, uh, you know, put basic barbell movements into, I mean, we've done it, of course, but into, like, the, the conditioning workouts because I didn't want to kind of burn up those repetitive movement patterns and then also, you know, stymie if people are on linear progression where you're like, oh, shit, you know, my press has been going up. Now you're going to 100 presses in, in a day, and next thing you know, you're fucked for, like, you know, three weeks. Yeah, like, I, I thought, I mean, in those early days, it was great, and I think... Um, it was fun to experiment, and I think a lot of good things came out of those early 2000s because everyone started. I mean, first thing, you put barbells in people's hands, which I was always happy with. Like, Amen. you got people hitting the Smith machine, actually getting under in, you know, in a rack and squatting and deadlifting, you know, badly at the start. But now I think there's a, you know, there's a plethora of different coaches out there now. I think most people are doing what they like the right thing, even though they're not 
you know, not necessarily educated as much as they need to be. Um, but I think it was good to go through those early 2000 years and, and have a bunch of this stuff happen. And then now I feel like we're coming out, at least here in Australia, is that it's sort of tempered itself a whole lot. And people are saying, all right, well, I need to be strong and I need to be powerful. I need to be able to you know, have a bigger engine. And how do I get that? And how do I train hard, but how do I train smart at the same time? Um, and then aesthetically, if you don't eat like an asshole, then mm-hmm. you, know, you should be okay. Mm-hmm. I've got a hot take on the Smith machine. What, you, your leg press? I have a Smith machine at my, like, neighborhood gym. Yeah. And I went in there and blasted my pecs on that sucker a few weeks back. I think I'm a Smith machine guy. Because you could hit that, like, you, get, you just reverse it either way. You could go single arm. You could do all sorts of things on that Smith machine to blast those pecs. Yeah. I'm just saying. I think it's great. You know, if you got a sunken chest like McQuilk over there that you need to pump yeah, up. you can't say that with I a know. serious face. You might as well invest in a Smith machine. I bet you people are offloading them because they don't think it's functional, like the bench press. <laughs> is uh, is a... I, I, no. I, When's the last I, time you hit the Smith machine? Uh, <laughs> I, I always thought the Smith machine was where you hung your bag. So, like, I didn't like to ever <laughs> yeah, put my ha- bag in the, in the cubbies. I used to just hang it on the Smith machine. You could do that, and you could still use it. Eh, like, that's, that's the true. thing. You don't even have to load it. You don't have to take the time to load it evenly. It's a great... It's a fantastic machine. Do we... Do we know the cost of one of those? I'm just curious. Like, uh, I, I, no. Whatever the cost of scrap is. I mean, that's, that's where all you do, drop them off at scrap. Um, is, uh, is strength training taught early in school? I mean, I, I've always thought, like, um, you know, we do it here through sport, and, like, Texas is a little bit different in that they have some high school powerlifting. And, um, you know, I know they get in, what? How much like is 3000 bucks. 20 grand. No, $3,000. Like, yeah. It's three? You, I'd that's rather, a steal. So, it, like, what, in, in the United States, uh, like, uh, Texas, I mean, Tech started playing football in seventh grade. I didn't start till high school. Um, so it's kind of different. Is, uh, is Australia much different in terms of, like, sport development, younger age? Because I know that, uh, you know, there's such big feeders for uh, rugby league, rugby union, especially Aussie rules football. So I wonder if those kids get indoctrinated a little bit. And um, is, like, a typical, you know, what you'd know from power athlete strength conditioning model, which I assume is, like, they actually the least non-crazy approach that I've ever heard. But, like, is it still more in that, uh, you know, because I remember when we were down in Australia, and this is, geez, 10-plus years ago, you know, they were still stuck in this NSAM uh, three sets, 8 to 12 reps, and it was just kind of this standard build-in aerobic base, which I agree with. But it was like there was very little heavy weightlifting yeah. outside of, like, the, the lowest set would be eight reps. So I just wonder if there's been a change or that's kind of still permeating. You guys are fighting that fight. Yeah, it's it's changing and it is uh, it is getting better now. In most decent high schools um, and even primary schools, you'll have a strength conditioning coach and and he's in charge of you know you know for all sports. So this poor guy or girl, you know, will have to deal with all the all the school kids and have to try and make sure that he writes something um, that you know is applicable to everyone in every sport. Uh, it's, it's getting better, but there is still that myth out there that, you know, a 10-year-old can run headfirst into another 10-year-old but can't touch a weight just in case, you know, there's something happens to their spine. Um, I guess it's, um, it's come a long way and we see a lot more parents bring their kids into the gym. I mean, my son is, what is he, five, and he plays tennis, soccer, 
does BJJ and uh, he just watches me train and he wants, he just, he picks up a, you know, a, a dead ball, picks up a kettlebell and, uh, you know, I don't tell him to do any reps or sets, but like he just wants to start doing it. And if he's, he's doing it in such a way, he'll, you know, he'll pick up his toys in his bag, which he loves to school every day as well. And it's the same sort of thing. So it's, it's getting better. Um, it's not near where it needs to be, but it's certainly getting better at least. I think here, I'm not sure what the model is uh, in the States, but to be an SNC coach, you need to have uh, at least attended, um, uh, it's, it's depends, it can be a weekend course or at least have a, a degree being a university. Uh, and they put these guys and girls in place and, and that's with the bigger high schools as well. Uh, so I think it's slowly getting better, but I still think there's, there's a decade there that, you know, before it gets where it needs to be. I mean, people are still scared of, you know, like a barbell, like something bad is going to happen to you if you touch it or lift it. Um, but, you know, but they're willing to you know, let them go play rugby union or rugby league on the weekend and get get punished by some, you know, 400 kilo Tongan kid. That sounds yeah. terrible. At age 10. Yeah. 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 Age 10 year old, yeah. Man, that's, uh, I mean, we uh, like it's, I think we run into the same stuff here. I mean, here in the United States, like I, 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 I don't know what a high school text, but you probably know better than me. There really is no qualification. It's usually the old ball coach. Yeah. And uh, who's, you know, following Bear Bryant's program from 1960. Um, but I like a lot of it comes down to this. Uh, this is what I did. And uh, that's what we're going to push out to our kids. You know, if it was good enough for me, it's good enough for them. And I always joke, like, dude, when you played football, water was weakness, and you guys didn't even t- do water breaks. So, like, the fact yeah. that, like, training has not evolved is just kind of uh, short-sighted. What it's, it's, I understand something is better than nothing, but then there is just this giant assumption at the, the high school level that just doing it will appropriately prepare an athlete. So there is time dedicated to the weight room with with football and sometimes other sports but then exactly what they do and why they do it there there is none of that so coaches just feel oh this feels right or i know i know this from my experience and it's often the lowest the low man on the totem pole unless you get a pretty good coach that has a degree in that that respective field that just so happen to also coach or teach health or history within the high school mm-hmm. Is, uh, is it, I mean, I, uh, is it fair to say that, like, especially with, like, the rugby league and, like, the, the higher level guys that, um, you know, basic strength training and then they, you know, because they run so much within their conditioning for practice, like, is there a really even a need to even uh, have these guys condition outside of the realm of their sport? Yeah, when you look at the, uh, um, we want them sitting at a certain percentage. So we have a GPS data for, for every player. Um, so we have a, a big pre-season um, and pre-season is where we do all our work. Like we try and get a lot of our work done, get them nice and strong, get them bigger, get them faster, get them you know, uh, more conditioned. And the season, because it's, it's quite brutal um, and it's week, uh, every week games, uh, they'll lose, we're trying to lose too much strength and size during the in-season, but we still need to top their running up if they don't get enough in a game, so they'll need to do top-up running, uh, flush runs, and things like that, just to make sure um, that they they're not over-conditioned and they're spe- especially not under-conditioned as well. Um, this, I mean, the volume stuff, I guess, the speed stuff during season we don't focus too much on because in-game speed they're getting plenty of. Um, but it's just you know I don't want them to lose too much speed either. Like you know, every three or four days we need them to do something. 
Um, and these guys also feel uh, like every three days they need to be doing something like that as well. So a lot, of, a lot of it's got to do with the science behind it of making sure they're topped up to the appropriate amount, but also uh, had guys come in uh, on Monday and, and they're doing, I don't know if you heard of State of Origin where it's uh, one state versus another state and it's the, the best uh, best players out of each rugby league team come together and, and just fucking hammer each other. It's great. Um, but they're, uh, they've got, they had a week off or two weeks off um, and after three days, you know, the knees hurt, the hips hurt, um, but they just, they have the condition now to move and they really need to move. Um, and the older they get as well, uh, I think they're, you know, they're worried that if they don't keep moving, then they're not going to move again. Um, but the top up running in season is very important. Um, and it doesn't have to be much. It might be two or three kilometers. It could be you know, a little bit under that, but depending on their position on the field and depending on what they're used to and their, their volumes throughout the season as well. So how, um, other than, I mean, how, like, how are you guys managing recovery? I mean, are you uh, uh, testing rep maxes? Are you guys doing like uh, heart rate variability? Um, just wondering how you guys are kind of gauging recovery yeah. in that way. Well, yeah, I mean, recovery is a huge part. So we've got a hot, cold plunge. We've got saunas. Um, we've got uh, the Normatec recovery stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's factored into every, every session, every day. Um, you know, we have a dietitian that takes care of their, their, you know, their eating and what they should and shouldn't be doing. Um, Pre-season, they get weighed, DEXA scans. Um, we've been playing around with the, the WHOOP uh, at the moment. You guys see those, those watches just to track or, or get them to, uh, to look at their sleep a little bit closer, to look at their heart rate variability. Have you used um, it? Have you used the WHOOP? Have you used yeah, it? Yeah, I'm, I'm playing with it at the moment. Yeah. Uh, what do you think thus far? Oh, look, every time I squat and, or deadlift and I max out and it tells me that I'm under like average strain for the day, I want to fucking throw it at the wall. <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, man, we I wore that thing every day for a year and uh, yeah. it was like I was uh, I was I measured all my calories and like the daily calorie. I was always always over like eight to nine thousand calories burned and I was consistently eating three. And I did not yeah. lose a single pound. And I'm like, I, I like started charting this thing and like kind of like started plotting this stuff. And I'm like, well, at this point, I should be weighing 100 pounds. I should have lost 200 pounds by now, based off of what I know with mathematics. And it was just yeah. really interesting. Like some of my hardest days was like, you are, you know, green to go. And some of my work, it just, there was no rhyme or reason. And uh, I always asked them, I was like, hey, how are you guys getting to this stuff? And it was pretty interesting. I read some stuff that like for bigger guys, the thickness of the arm, whereas like for like, a, let's say a smaller woman, like less muscle thinness of the arm was, was helpful. So like they, uh, bigger, bigger dudes had way worse. We also know like the collection side of the wrist is, is worse than like the finger, for example. So it was just, uh, and they, they were just pretty tight-lipped on how they were collecting it. So that was what I always found. But I think for maybe the general pop, like I think we always look at outliers, but maybe for the general pop, it's got a little bit more usability. So I'm interested to see how you guys use it. Yes, I think sleep is, I, I mean, I use like all this sort of, you know, the wearable technology I think is great, but as long as it doesn't influence you beyond how you're feeling and what the numbers you're seeing as well. So, I mean, it's, it's pointless to do all this sort of stuff and then still have uh, like a negative outcome on the field. Um, so for me, like I look, I wake up in the morning, I'll, I'll look at my sleep and say, hey, like you've done eight hours or, you know, you've done five, you've done seven, whatever it is. And then I'll gauge that off how I feel as well. And I just want the players to understand that they need to be aware of their sleep 
they need to be aware, like it's just another uh, input in their day to have a look at and say like, oh, well, you know, this says that I'm feeling good, you know, I don't feel good, so I'm going to, you know, I'll meet it somewhere in between or I'll just ignore what this thing is telling me. I'm gonna do well with it. Um, I usually find it takes two or three days to catch up. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I like, I like more, the more input I can get, from these guys, but also, you know, I find with athletes, um, yeah, that if it's not right there in their face and you're not telling them every single day about what to track, I mean, but I'm very lucky with the guys that I have, with the, with the Roosters, I mean, they've won the last two grand finals. There's not much but like cleaning up the one percenters that we have to do. I mean, these, these guys are like, they're brilliant. They're, like as athletes and they're extremely coachable they listen, they're attentive. So it's, it's for my job, it's not that hard. I just have to make them strong, make them powerful, and then let them go and do what they do on the field. You know, it's, it's, it's a great job. It's easy. Um, it's so easy you came in to do it. That's my joke. Like, it's so easy. Like, it, it, but then, like, this is the problem we run into when it's, it's so simple. It's almost like that people think that there's something hidden and whatnot, and I feel like the more nuance and the more, uh, like, people start throwing into this is almost like... Um, I don't know, well, like the safety for their job. Uh, yeah. Maybe to show the sport coach what they're doing is this big, sexy, flashy thing that, hey, you need me. Yeah, well, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's job security. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's not that hard. It really isn't like you need to look at load, look at intensity, look at volume. And if you're not a halfwit, that stuff isn't too hard to understand. And then you apply it to the, the sport or to whatever, whatever you're doing to your athlete. Um, and monitor it during the week. It's uh, it's enjoyable, you know. And I, you know, I get to live with the guys, hang out with them. Um, you know, really, really my twenties and my thirties, and um, <laughs> and realize just how weak I am. Uh, yeah. Ah, the glory days. Still, still got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For one set. Yeah, and then then you standing there and watch these guys take a big hit on the sideline. You're like, oh, thank God I'm not out there. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I had, um, when I started working individually with athletes and uh, I had a lot of pushback from their strength and conditioning coaches, not for any other reason other than the fact that they were worried it was going to take their job. And I kept saying like, hey, look, look at it this way. All I'm going to do is take this one guy who wants to train with me and I'm going to take him off your hands. You can have all the accolades. I don't care about that shit at all. I just want to make my guy faster, stronger, more powerful. I want him to have another two-year contract. I don't want him to come out the other side. Um, and that's, you know, through that I had, I got Owen and through Owen, um, I got this, uh, this guy, uh, Sokopu Kepu, who's a, a Wallaby front rower. And I got the Keps uh, because after one game, him and Owen are the opposite ends of the scrum in different countries. And after one game, he, he asked Owen on the sideline, he goes, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why do you keep crushing me um, all the time? And um, and Kepsa, he lived you know, not too far from me, so he ended up coming around. Um, and then through him, I had this other guy from the All Blacks called uh, Offer. Now, Offer's uh, six, 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 seven, 125 kilos. And... Yeah, he's he, he's fast. It's 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 ridiculous. It's unfair. Um, but he, he couldn't squat. He couldn't get his lower half of his body and the top half of his body to, to to work as one. And 
you'll laugh at this, but the strength coach of his team uh, said he wasn't allowed to deadlift because deadlift is dangerous. Um, have you ever seen a rugby union scrum that, that looks weirdly similar? Um, but yeah, so we had started getting him deadlifting, started him training, um, and then I just started getting a trickle of different rugby union guys, and mostly forward that don't deal with the backs too much. Um, I don't like people who shave their legs. So, <laughs> uh, what's yeah, the, and then, uh, you know, I- I was going to ask for, for the people listening, can you, um, and I know this is purely just uh, anybody could Google it, but the difference between rugby league and rugby union, it's just two sure, different, yeah. it, it's two different leagues, right? Or yeah, two organizations. Yeah, two, different, two different sports. Um, the rules are different. It's still the idea is the same as to get the ball from one side of the field to the other and put it down. Um, rugby union uh, have scrums that actually matter. So the scrums where like people, two sides come together and they try to crush each other. Uh, rugby league have a tackle count as in like you have five tackles if you don't get rid of the ball or kick it uh, or score then the other team uh, starts with the ball where rugby union doesn't have any of that there's no tackle count like you can have you know 20 phases that run through and if you keep the ball then it's yours until you score um, and rugby union also have line outs generally um both side, I mean, both teams or both sports look similar these days. You still have really, really big guys, but I find rugby league uh, just have a, a bigger forward or a bigger, uh, bigger front row because it's short, sharp, and then they get to sort of run in the background for a little bit until they're needed again. Where the union guys are always having to be there and do something. Um, and it's, I think the the tagline they use is that uh, rugby union is a thug sport played by gentlemen. And uh, um, that's because back in the day, everyone who played rugby union went to a private boys' school. Hmm. Um, and that's it, not the case anymore. But um, yeah, so there are no pads um, or anything like that. It's, it's um, a bit unlike um, you know, the NFL. Um, yeah, and they're nowhere near the same size as the guys in the NFL. I mean, like, what, are you, what were you playing at, John? Um, I played about 306, 308, but I was one of the smaller athletic guys. So the guy that played next to me was about 350. So what's that? Yeah. Uh, so I was, uh, what, 130 kilos, like 132, 134, 33 kilos. Yeah. And then the guy I played next to was probably one, 150, <laughs> you know, so 6'8". Uh, you know, I mean, it just, it's just, um, uh, it's... Big dudes. Yeah, the, the NFL is uh, this really incredible, like, uh, where the bell curve meets the edges of of genetics and you take these yeah. extremely gifted individuals and ask them to do some really amazing things you put them on turf you give them cleats you give them pads and you ask them to move at a speed that like no no normal human would ever want to move at and then go through all yeah. these car wrecks so it's pretty interesting i mean i um i really wasn't exposed to rugby growing up but it, when i went to cal uh rugby was uh, was huge i mean national championships a bunch of the guys that were there were you know australia new zealand from different places so um, we got a chance to watch a ton of rugby. And I, it's one of those sports that I was always kind of like a little bum that I didn't get an opportunity to play when I was younger. I would have enjoyed it a lot more than soccer. Um, and I think I would have really enjoyed the sport. And um, so then my older brother, when he graduated college, ended up joining like a rugby club team. And so I'd go watch his games. 
And uh, he's like, dude, this is probably one of the most fun I've ever had. And he played, you know, college football, college baseball. And he's like, dude, I wish we had played this sport when we were younger, just for the fact that, like, there's a, a good camaraderie. He also liked at the end of the game, say, everybody got to drink beer and hang out. And he's like, you know, you get in a fight with the dude, everything. At the end of the game, everybody's cool with it. In football, you're looking for dudes in the, you know, in the parking lot after the game. So it's a little bit different. Did, uh, did Owen mention, uh, so his uh, older brother, Ben, also used to play as well. And they used to play in the same team. And they used to drive to training together. And I think it's been described as, as two balls finally getting into a fight. So they'd be on opposing teams, like on, on the same team, but at practice being on, on opposing teams. And the guys used to say they used to get into these monumental punch-ons, like just big swings, hits, connecting. And then after practice, they'd jump in the same car and drive home together. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> There, there, there was a story, I guess, that, um, and I don't remember who told us this, but that they used to go down to the beach, or maybe he did, and yeah. they would just pay random dudes at the beach. They'd like bring like the rugby ball, and they'd pay random guys to try to tackle them in the water. And like these yeah. dudes would just be like, "Hey, I got like you know uh, whatever twenty bucks, thirty bucks," and they would just pay these dudes and just absolutely fucking wreck people at the beach. <laughs> and like they were yeah. like, "Oh, it was pretty good." And uh, I heard that story, and I was like, "Man, that is that is so awesome." <laughs> Just go down, you know, people are like, oh, I'll tackle these guys. They're all blacks. Let's get them. And they just fucking trucking these dudes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's, uh, I got Owen into doing judo um, in the off season to keep his conditioning up. I think wrestling's a, like a great way to do it. And uh, he was like, oh, it's fun. It's great. He said that every second person wants to be the guy who fucking chokes an all black out. So, <laughs> uh, you know, they just, they, he just had to go for it. Um, yeah, so you, go, you get sick and tired of fighting all the time, but uh, yeah, they're, they're like those guys are, are special. Like you don't, they'll come across like an Owen and a Ben will come come across the All Blacks or rugby every 15, 20 years. You just won't see that same type of intensity uh, and that same like just the singular thought about what they do. I mean, <laughs> Owen on his wedding day had a protein shake off to the side. You know, around near the photos because he didn't want to lose size for the game coming up. Um, you know, he uh, he tricks his wife all the time um, into like he'll buy something different, like he'll buy a white bike or he'll buy like some more weights or he'll buy something and he'll just get it shipped to the house and um, she'll you know, like, what's that for? And he's like, oh, it's, don't worry about it. You don't, you don't need to worry about what that is. It just keeps going to the garage. Um, yeah, so he always used to spend 20% of whatever he made on making himself better. That was, uh, and you know, that's why it's, it's, I think he's in 13th or 14th year playing professionally now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what he does. I mean, you're not going to, I don't think you'll see that again for a really long time. Um, he's one of the guys who used to play with him. Uh, they have a, like a game day book. And he said he looked over once and Owen had drawn crosshairs over his opposite number on the opposite team and just written kill, destroy. And yeah. um, <laughs> the guy was like, fuck, I was going to leave. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the type of people you want, you know? I mean, uh, yeah. you know, uh, the uh, you know the people that go out there and try to make their mark, just not go out there and hold the jersey place. So, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. Uh, like um, he actually talking to him was awesome. We had a great uh, interview with him, but yeah, he didn't really get into any of those. Uh, like uh, I used to scratch guys face out and write kill yeah, on them. Like the legend, the legends. Yeah, yeah. It's always good. It, it's always helpful to have like your coach give some of your folk folklore out there, so you're like, yes, I don't have to be my own fucking purveyor of my own image. Mm-hmm. So it's like good. Uh, like Kaiser Soze and um, yeah, Usual Suspects. Yeah, you gotta have the Kaiser Soze. Mm-hmm. 
So what's uh, like um, in, in terms of like, um, you know, here in the U.S., man, it seems like every other day there's something new. Like, uh, you know, we've been doing a ton of like blood flow restriction stuff. I mean, we do EMS. I mean, it seems like, um, you know, then like when CrossFit kind of slowed down a little bit, then now all of a sudden there's an orange theory on every corner, which is like CrossFit light, light. I'm just wondering, like, what's like the next or the big fitness craze kind of going going on in Australia? Um, I mean, CrossFit is still still here. I mean, but I think it's 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 dying off a little bit after everything that happens. Um, big push at the moment, and I think it's it's been great is that everyone wants to train like an athlete. You know, but not that they know how that is, but they that's what they want to feel. So it's there's a, like a, a huge emphasis on getting strong like a, a real big emphasis on getting strong. So um, like we'll see in our gym three days a week, I program strength stuff. I program a, a block in advance and it's we squat on a Tuesday, we uh, upper body on a Thursday and we do some like lower body power stuff on a, on a Friday and they, the classes are packed out. Um, there's, yeah, there's also uh powerlifting and things like that is growing uh, as well. I mean, during the lockdown, I guess, with, with COVID and everything else that's going on, um, the scramble for, for gear and, and then things like that. Um, I mean, if you had barbells and, you know, you hated running like you should, then, um, you know, everyone just sort of got strong. Um, and it's it's just trending that way more and more. People are like, they want to have a bigger squat. They want a bigger deadlift. Um you know, the concept too, that like these bike herbs and these skis and things like that. Um, we've got a couple of record holders in our gym. That stuff was, I think, was getting big. And, and then I think COVID sort of squashed that because everyone, like, you know, didn't want to see an, another ski or another bike or, you know, like another row from the next two years. Um, and I, I think everyone missed, and it, it, like it, it came across really evident, I guess, early on is that, Everyone missed the gym. They missed the barbell. And they missed getting underway, um, and it's it's been that's been huge uh, from what we've been seeing as well. Um, it's, yeah, like, and it's been great too because I'm that's all I want people to do. Was it um, was it things something that just you think it was like a rend, like a like a natural occurrence, just kind of an evolution coming off of maybe the CrossFit, or was there some something mar- uh, remarkable that happened that kind of pushed people? I mean, I'm and I'm just telling you, like here in the United States, it feels like uh, we're on this like interesting kind of almost like musical chairs where like people are up. I mean, people are doing a million different things. So I wonder if there was something that kind of drove that home. Yeah, I mean, I guess I see like, you know, through my own bias lens, but um, I, I honestly think uh, it was, you know, the sort of, not the, not the, the necessarily just CrossFit and what happened there and what, what's, what's been happening, but it's sort of got everyone thinking, you know, like maybe there's a, maybe uh, what does health actually look like? And what's well, you know, all this, this shit about wellness all the time. Um, but like, you know, what's the best thing you can have uh, you know, it's like it's good to be strong, it's good to be fit, it's good to be conditioned. Um, and I guess our lifestyle at this way, especially in Sydney as well, just tends to lend itself a little bit more towards people wanting uh, longevity and health. And I think now they understand a lot more that, you know, we see way more women getting under barbells and not being afraid to, to get strong. They also understand that suddenly, just because they get under a barbell, they're not going to get massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's starting to come through. And I think women especially, um, from what I see, that they're sort of, you know, unfortunately or fortunately forging the way through um, for what's going to happen next. Because I've got, I said it yesterday, like I had a girl hit a, hit a double at 100 kilos um, of back squat 
and I just said to the guys in the room, I'm like, if you can't do 100 kilos, I would fucking go home and I'd look at a noose. Um, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd be wanting, you know, if someone like that can back squat and you can't back squat that way, then like, you know, I, I find it impressive, but also think that like um, people are more interested in being strong. They hold more um, more relevance to strength these days than they do anything else. It's a beautiful thing. We need that here in yeah. the States. We do. Man, I always wonder, too, in the United States. I mean, I was, like, um, uh, on the podcast, I, I don't know, most recent, I guess we, I, I made a comment about um, socialism eventually evolving into communism. And I got a guy from uh, Norway who hit me up and he's like, well, we're a socialist country. Are we going to become communists? And then I basically land-based <laughs> it on why they're not socialists. They're cuddly com- uh, capitalism. But I think what's really interesting with that, you've never heard that term, cuddly capitalism? No. No. Well, the problem is, is in a state like uh, Norway and these Scandinavian countries, everybody's like a second cousin. So it's pretty hard to, like, screw people over when they're like your second cousin. So I wonder in those homogeneous societies if, like, things like that kind of permeate a little bit better. And I wonder if in Australia, because, what, it's 25 million people, but it's, you know, kind of a more of a... I mean, everybody's like, like, there's nobody in the middle, right? Everybody's spread along the coast for the most part, right? And I just wonder if, yeah. like, if that's more of a, like, just a more of a connection. Like, there's really, you know, like, does that make sense? Like, if, yeah, it, you know. Like, I think people are, um, I know it's in different states, and I've been, uh, you know, around the world a little bit, and I've always thought that culture-wise, everyone is just a little bit more, a little bit more laid back here, and, um if you, yeah, people are generally nicer uh, in terms of like they're more open and friendly and, and uh, uh, not to say like I, I've been to Texas a few times and uh, in the States and I really enjoyed it there. I thought like most people from the US were overly nice um, and, and too polite. But um, yeah, I, I just think even I, I think being near the water and near, near the beach and the sun and having the weather being so different um i think that promotes health as well people like are just outside a whole lot more i mean i, I don't like I, I get up at 5 36 in the morning because the sun's hitting you know the window and i get up and i want to have a coffee then i want to go on to train and then i want to go to the beach and have a swim and relax and, and everyone's thinking they're doing the same thing um and you know when you look at you know the uk look at how bad it must be for harry um yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for him. Oh, uh, the the other day, uh, it was like a, he sent me something like a FaceTime, like a Snapchat, like something I forgot, and uh, it was basically him in a parka because it was so cold over there that like I was like really already, and he's like it's cold here, like, cold, dark, <laughs> yeah. can't see anyone. Yeah, it, like, it, it was supposed to be like the middle of the day. And I was like, is it, is it nighttime? He's like, no, it's noon. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, or uh, maybe it was a little bit later. He's, what, six hours ahead. So maybe it was 10 in the morning, 4 o'clock there. It was all overcast. He's wearing like a black parka hoodie, just pale face. And he's like, oh, I can either work at home or at my girlfriend's, but nowhere else. Like, mm-hmm. oh, God. And I just remember thinking like, oh, God, Harry, this sucks. You think about that. If you were to go outside, I mean, you've never been on the tube in the UK. And it's, it's, it is, it's so cold. And everyone's rubbed up, but everyone's moving at 100 miles an hour, um, you know, and no one's talking to anyone. So I, I do think it's definitely weather-based and, and culture-wise too. I mean, the, um, 
you know, I think everyone nods here and says hello. And, uh, you know, for the most part, yeah, I mean, you can be told to fuck off around any corner here as well. Um, <laughs> well, I remember we were in Newcastle. They uh, closed the bars at 8 o'clock at night because uh, they had so many people getting killed uh, in bar fights. Or glass or yeah, something. Yeah, with right. glass at, like, midnight. So they just... Yeah. So, like, I remember we were supposed to go meet them for a drink, and they're like, well, you better get here. I'm like, it's like 7 o'clock. Like, the bars close at 8. The yeah. the law, Kevin, I don't, I don't know if it's still in place, but it was like, man, I forget the time. I think it was midnight. As long as you're in the bar at midnight, you can stay however the hell long you want. So uh, I was traveling solo on that trip and just caught a couple bars that have live music and just stayed there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like once they, you're out, you're out. Once you're right. out, once you're in, you're in. And you, if you leave, like that's it. So... Yep, that's true. It's it's um, what it did because we're here in, in Kings Cross, which is it was sort of infamous back in the day. Um, it was there was just drugs, fights, one punch incidents, um, and it was they thought it was because everyone can go from bar to bar to pub to pub, and just apparently all we do is just walk past someone, see someone, and just hit them, and then keep walking. That's um, that's that was the idea, which is not true, but. Um, so they, yeah, they had this lockout rule that if you weren't inside something by 12 o'clock, um, then you had to, you couldn't get anywhere else. And then here in the cross, they decided to shut everything at midnight. So everything was closed at midnight as well. Um, and, and it did, it brought the crime all the way down. And then they just, everyone who was in the crime and, and one punch, the sort of scenarios <laughs> went somewhere else. Um, I think Newtown they went to and they just started doing the same shit there. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but Newcastle's an interesting place. It's um, where I, I went uh, somewhere on the weekend, and I won't name where I went. My girlfriend picked it, a shit spot. Um, <laughs> and it, like we, we compared it to Newcastle. We we're like, oh, look, you know, it's um, you know, there's a lot of mullets here. There's, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, it's a, it's a cool, it's a really nice spot. They have a really good rugby league team there. They did for a while. Um, nice on the beach. But yeah, it's it's some areas are just a little bit more, um, you know, quick to punch, second to talk type of thing. Yeah, um, not as polished. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, which is which is fine. And I think, you know, I always enjoyed that about Australia as well. Like, uh, you know, you just, you know, we you, you know, we used to have, like in the army, we used to have two rules. It was uh, if you did something wrong, you could either go around and sort it out uh, behind the back. Uh, like wherever, or you, you know, you could be called a pussy and um, and just do shit jobs for for two months. So I mean, we used to solve everything through just you know friendly fighting, and um, I always thought that was good. Like you know, you'd always get more respect by standing up to a, a big guy, and you'd learn how to fight pretty quickly. Um, and that you know, it's just uh, when you were down, they pick you up and then take you for a beer. So that's what, what happened. Um, but I don't think we can do that anymore. I think that's legal. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'd, I I'd, 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 I'd say those days are behind us. Yeah. yeah. It's unfortunate. I wonder what my son's going to grow up as. Like, I'm trying to put him into as many sports as I can and, um, you know, telling him that if, you know, if he gets pushed or shoved, that it's it's fine. You can hit back and it's okay. And, like, I'll come down to school and sort of that if I need to. But, um you know, that's what that's how they they figure out their risk management profile in their own little baby heads. You know, they got to like get pushed, push, figure out that like that guy can fight. I won't mess with that guy, or I put myself in a better scenario. Um, and I think we're going to miss that soon because everyone's going to be just getting lawyers and, and do whatever else. Oh. 
bummer. I was kind of hoping Australia might be the last bastion. Settle, set sail <laughs> and get there. It sounds like it's, it's affecting there, too. Well, it used to be. It's where the, uh, the old Brits sent all their fighters. Well they, sent, well, they weren't fighters. They were their criminals. And the yeah. least dangerous criminals became the police force. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, dude, I, I, I think it's it, – uh, so I liked Australia's lineage almost better than the United States. I mean, they were, you know, send-off criminals, whereas the United States were a bunch of, bunch of landowners who didn't want to pay taxes. Yeah, I went to a police museum in Perth and just read up that the, the, the force, whoever was in charge, like it was like the Catholic priests, and then they just named the least dangerous guys, the police force, <laughs> to try to keep the rest of the guys – in, so it was like a Irish sent the their priests there to, like, help guide the the British people that got sent there in their lost ways. So Perth was uh, the first touch point, uh, at least from what I remember from this yeah. Perth trip was 2014. So like, yeah, wasn't per, uh, Perth on the west side, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Can you, uh, yeah. Can you imagine like landing there? And then, uh, Perth, like, being like, wow, beautiful. this is beautiful. And then they start walking, and they all of a sudden Three realize. Three miles, any direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, like, the pictures from Australia, like, any of the type, like, uh, I always love, like, landscape and geography and any nature shows. And, like, the Australia stuff, like, might as well be on the moon. I'm just, like, amazed at people, or even, like, and there's people that drive across that. Like, they're in these little, like, ute trucks, and it's crazy. Well, that's how I got from, from Perth to Sydney. That's how like, I was in Perth for... Um my last little bit in the army and I drove from Perth to Sydney it took me two days to get out of Western Australia just by driving like that's how that's how big it is and then it took me four and a half days of constant driving to get to Sydney um, and there's a stretch of highway there uh, called Nullarbor that is 95 kilometres of a straight road so you can see the whole way straight like it just looks like this sort of hazy dip um, you just put power steering on, take your hands off the wheel, and <laughs> if you don't hit a kangaroo or a camel, then, um, you can just non-stop. I imagine you got to pack gas or petrol or whatever you guys or call petrol, it. Petrol, whatever you guys call it. Yeah, yeah I didn't want to get. Um, yeah, it's. I think every every two hundred kilometers or so, there's a there's a petrol station, but that's dependent on whether the guy's up and wants to actually pump the gas or anything. Um, yeah, it's quite remote. I don't know if you ever seen Wolf Creek, the movie out here. Um, but it's, uh, it's a bit like that where there's, uh, yeah, the, the, the very, very, it's very loose out that way. You know, it's the last, you know, everyone's sort of got utes and hats and guns and like it's, it's, it's quite normal. Um, so I was hoping Texas held on strong so I could move to Texas eventually. <laughs> it does sound like Texas. There's boots, hats, and guns. It's probably pretty true. Yeah. You know, John, you've driven across the states a couple times. Yes. I think you're due for an Australian coast-to-coast. Uh, man, there is um, – I've driven on the Pan American Highway in in uh, Central America. That was pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, no, I would love to go to Australia. I, I was supposed to also ride the um, Ho Chi Minh Trail. A buddy of mine was supposed to meet me in uh, – um, I forgot in like the north, and I and then drive basically like 500 miles on the Ho Chi Minh Trail all the way down to um, to uh, Saigon, and uh, yeah. that ended, I, I ended up he ended up flaking on me and like a like a, a like a bitch. I didn't go. I should have just gone solo. You show up, you buy some you know 50 cc motorcycle that's Russian, and you basically ride that sucker for 500 miles. It takes you about two weeks, and uh, but no. Um, <laughs> The Australia one would be a blast. I, I, I keep kind of like uh, just, you know, randomly, like when I have a moment, I'll kind of check to see like what the global uh, perception is of travel and like if they're, you know, countries are letting stuff up and how it's kind of easing. But it doesn't really feel like 
like things are necessarily opening up in terms of international travel? No, I mean, we're looking at the, the border should open up for us uh, to New Zealand in the next hopefully four to five months. Um, we're just looking at like our uh, our preseason model at the moment for the for rugby league, and I don't think I'll need a passport for this season at all. I think it'll be local. Um, yeah, I was hoping to get to the UK as well, um, but I don't think that's going to happen either. Not for a very long time. I'm not prepared to sit in quarantine for two weeks um, uh, to do any of that stuff. So that, that's a shame. I was hoping to get over um, as well, but um, yeah, I, I'd say. I don't know, maybe we've been told 2022 um, to look at international travel. That's what sort of we've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it'll depend. And, and as you know, if something happens, if there's a spike and they just revert everything back, um, so it's, it's very hard to tell. I mean, we're, we're doing it pretty well here. I really don't think it's too bad. I feel bad for the people in Victoria and Melbourne. I mean, they've been in lockdown. I think they were in lockdown for, uh, for almost six months because they had you know, upwards of 1,000 cases a day in quite a small community. Um, here in Sydney, I think we're only in lockdown for about three months, which I'm not going to lie, I quite enjoyed. I had a, like a, a legal excuse not to see anyone. Um, <laughs> so it, it, was, it was good. Um, we just got to train and, and hang out. And, um, yeah, it was, it was summer as well, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah, um, yeah I just don't think. Yeah, cause I was hoping to come across and... and uh, get that, uh, that block one coaching stuff down. But I don't know when I'll be able to fly to Texas. I know it's a sad. Yeah, it seems crazy day. with the international stuff. But, man, I mean, it's it's got to open back up. But I, I, I also think, um, you know, like, and this is the thing you wrestle with. Like, you know, like uh, if you go on, you know, some news stations, they show like a constant ticker of, say, you know, and it's like, it's right in your face. And I always wonder, I'm like, kind of like we talked about, the perception over here is that, you know, Australia is in this, like uh, on the verge of collapsing in terms of like uh, civil rights and this and like I'm, I'm watching it and I'm like there's no way and so I, I almost wonder with the news sometimes if maybe it's over dramatized maybe it's not as dynamic and explosive as they're saying maybe if we're you know being pitted and manipulated in such a way um, not to say the news is fake but just being like uh, you know these are for profits and they make a lot of money with you know advertising and it helps to have more explosive and to paint these pictures in such a way instead of maybe no everything's great everybody go on with their lives you know more so than like news at 11 yeah. you know so but yeah it's just it's funny in the US um they like I, I watched a couple things and they were really focusing on where I think it was in Victoria where like you know people weren't wearing what masks and the cops were like arresting them and throwing in and you know violating civil liberties and you know this is happening all over Australia and I'm like ah maybe not. It's funny because they, they take like snippets of what happened and I think there was that one uh, one bit of the like the girl getting like apparently choked and thrown to the ground. Um, and they only show, you know, and they're saying, oh, this is, you know, it's happening all over Victoria. And it just wasn't like, oh, I haven't seen a police officer during lockdown post this. You just, like, no one's no one's doing anything. I think the last time I saw a police officer, I went up, went up to them and I said, like, hey, thank you. You must be, like, the job must be really tough. I just want to say thanks. Like, you know, it's not like the police officers get together in one secret group and they're like, hey, do you want to overturn the country and beat up everyone and shoot people? What do you think? Um, yeah, let's do it. You know, that sounds great. Ready, break. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was this one video of like this, this police officer taking this girl um, to the ground and 
the video that came out afterwards, but uh, a guy was filming, but they didn't show it. Was he? You know, he, he was about in his mid forties, and he said they were like, "Oh, hey, um, uh, where's your mask?" And she just went straight up to his face and went, "Fuck off." Um, and for those of you who can't hear, uh, sorry, see, like that gave him the finger, um, <laughs> which you can't do with a police officer. Um, and then he said, where's your license? She didn't have one. So, and she wasn't conforming or complying whatsoever. So he took her to the ground, like he was dancing with her and it was gentle. And, um, and then, you know, then your reports were like, you know, explosive, you know, police brutality and, uh, all sort of stuff. It's, yeah. it's, it's nuts. But like that might happen once, um, yeah, I enjoyed what, uh, what Andy was talking about having the two TVs showing about all the negative stuff that happens, you know, in regards to police and then all the positive stuff. And then, you know, the negative channel would probably run three or four stories a day across the world, and the positive channel would just be this endless flow of what good the police do. So I, I tend not to believe the media too much uh, unless I can see it myself, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's the same as you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's, um, especially what's happened here in the States, a lot of it's a lot of Monday morning quarterback. You know, I mean, you got, you know, 0.2 seconds to make a decision. And then all of a sudden you have a lot of people that, you know, are just making a lot of, you know, observations and seeing it after the fact. And it's it's always easier, as you know, in sports to look back and say, oh, we if this or we should have done this. But, you know, you make the best decision you can with the, you know, best information you can at that moment. So, um, but no, I, uh, I keep hoping that like, and I, I, I would like, the the joke kind of permeating around I hear from a lot of people is like oh this whole thing will end as soon as the election's over I'm like oh god I hope so like uh, <laughs> you know it just it'd be great if they were like oh it's it's solved everything's over you know throw the mask away let's go let's go to Australia yeah I don't, I don't think so though we can only hope yeah I don't think so I think <laughs> I think it's gonna I think people are making way too much money out of some of this stuff anyway so um, I tried to use cash the other day at a uh, a convenience store and they told me that cash was no longer acceptable um that we only use card and um i was like well i'm pretty sure cash is still currency as far as i'm concerned you're like well yeah it's legally it's still currency but uh we think it's dirty so we're not taking it hmm. yeah good i'll have to shop somewhere else it's, yeah they're uh, going green <laughs> is that a you, you money realize joke? uh the uh the migration to a full uh electronic currency is like then that's when you get into Orwell's 1984. I mean, that was... A, I did not know that. Unless you stand up blockchain. So What's a it, blockchain? Oh, Jesus. Tex, you don't know how to Google. I don't know if I'm ready to explain a decentralized currency, digital currency to you. Is that like a Bitcoin? Yeah, Bitcoin's a blockchain technology. Ah. Yeah, so you decentralize everything, and it's like redundant, and then there would be no... no Here's why I'm against this. Mm-hmm. No more movies about bank robberies. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out on the digital what currency. What are you talking about? You just Die Hard Three. It, no, Fort text. Knox. Die Hard you, One. It doesn't matter. Die Hard One. You just change the setting. Of paper. You change the setting of the movie to a year where banks existed. Uh, uh, like what? Uh, so Hans Gruber going down the Nakatomi building only is cool because of all the money that's like floating around him. Oh yeah. Well, there's a lot of cool things about that movie. Okay. So if there's no money in that scene. Let you me, tell me let that me, movie's I'm going to give good? you an example of a bad digital movie, bad like digital currency movie. The Matrix? No. Swordfish. Love it. Oh, uh, loved it. Yeah. Are you kidding no. me? Halle Berry? So, no good. Uh, Hugh Jackman? No good. John no good. Travolta? Yeah. No good. So far, John's right on, and you are way off. Uh, Don Cheadle? I think we have to defer to 
the premier guest in the premier podcast. Kev, have you seen Swordfish starring Hugh Jackman, John Travolta? I have. I have. And Halle Berry. Um, uh, and you see yeah. Halle Berry topless. John, yeah, you perv. I know it's nice, right? I think uh, I also enjoyed the. Uh, yeah, look, I enjoyed that movie for many different reasons. There you uh, go. McQuilkin, you're out. Travolta's chin, probably the most. I like the fact that Travolta has that, that dent in his chin that's more permeated than that one. <laughs> Uh, isn't that called the flavor saver? That's what we call it here. <laughs> yeah, the flavor saver. Um, yeah. I'm watching Swordfish My this weekend. My favorite part about that movie was that they had the C4 jackets with the ball bearings. Yeah. And they were turning people into the, like, uh, like I, I wonder after the fact if somebody was like, what if I take a, like a can of gasoline, I put a bunch of ball bearings in there, and then I throw a match and see what happens. It's all ball bearings these days, John. I mean, that, I, like, to, to me, that was by far one of the best things I've ever seen. C4 and ball bearings. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I Googled digital currency robbery movies. There's something called Bitcoin Heist 2017. Oh, it's going to be awful. Let's watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean... We don't have to go deep diving into digital currency movies yet. Okay. We should. I'm going to sit here for five minutes. You keep talking. Leave that for a hotline. (laughs) Um, Well, I know, Tex, on our end, we actually have, we got got something. Well, there's also something called money plane. Money plane. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like soul plane? Uh, Is is it like soul plane too? They had soul plane and money plane? Okay. I'm going to read the plot, and this is my last talking point. Uh, <laughs> Money Plane has at least 241 million in Bitcoin on a plane. So I guess it's on a chip or something. Like, this uh-huh. is stupid. Uh, are you, because you, know, you don't understand. Physical, well, well, actually, Bitcoins look like Chips Ahoy cookies. Yeah, so you've never held a Bitcoin. Yeah, like they a, look like Chips Ahoy cookies. Like a Nintendo yeah. cartridge? No, yes. like, like a Chips Ahoy. Yeah. So if you go, so Tex, if you want a Bitcoin, you got to go get at least four or five packages of Chips Ahoy cookies from HEB. If you open them up, you'll, be, you'll find at least one Bitcoin on there. Okay, I'll open them up, and I'll just scatter them across your house for Ruby to find. How dare you put crumbs around my house? You're a crummy person. <laughs> oh, man. Let's say people want to check out what you're doing over at, at, uh, at 98 Gym and 98 Training. Like, is social media the best place to kind of to creep on you? Do you want them to send them to a website? What do you want? Yeah, yeah, so you can you can Google uh, 98training.com uh, or 98gym Sydney, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, mine is uh, Strength Elite, um, I think my Instagram is. Uh, yeah, look, um, that's about it. I want to give myself a social media plug. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's, um, that's about it. Well, dude, once this thing opens up and we get airborne again, overseas, of course. We got to link up. We got to get you out here. We got to get out there. I know we got a, a pretty healthy following of methodology students out your way. So, like, there's a yeah. huge opportunity to link up and, and make a little Aussie power athlete trip and get John in a coast to coast. Yeah. I'll be um, like, I'll see you in seven weeks <laughs> driving around the I'm fucking out. No, 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 I'm no. going to do a lap. Here's, <laughs> here's, the, here's the Australia block test. It's like that show, The Amazing Race. Uh-huh. We start in Sydney, and then John is just waiting. Or you got to build your own car or something. Like, we combine all these reality TV shows. Well, I mean, we've seen Mad Max, and they filmed that in Australia. Oh, either way. But if you make it from Sydney to Perth, then you get your block. Uh, I, I really want to see, is it, uh, is it called Tabletop Mountain? Like, what's the, that big kind of outcropping? You've got... Uh, it's not Tabletop. Cradletop. It's, 
So yeah. there's one in Tasmania. There's oh, you want to you want that big, big fucking stupid red rock? Yeah. Like, no, yeah, Airs Rock. That's uh, um, I'll save you, save the trip. It's. Oh, really? <laughs> ah, the picture looks amazing. Just a big rock in uh, the middle of nowhere. If you stood out near your farm and just covered yourself in flies, that would be almost the same. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, Sounds lovely. No. I, uh, fly, <laughs> flies and mosquitoes, yeah. I'm out. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. Go back to the Gold Coast. It's much nicer. Oh, oh yeah, for cool. sure. Well, cool. Well, thank you. Hey. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it, man. And thank you, Power so, Athlete Nation, for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength. And conditioning. Ing. Ing. Bye-bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Kevin Tunin on Instagram under the handle at strengthelite. Until next time, bye.